Welcome to season two of Gin and Gentlemen, with me, Eleanor Harkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by an aircraft hanger full of gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. And why have you got an aircraft hanger full of gentlemen there, Catherine? I have got an aircraft hanger full of gentlemen because we are going to talk about Spitfires today, or a Spitfire-adjacent project. Indeed. And what might that be? Um, well, we haven't been here for a few months, hence season two. Um, but one of the things we've been working on in our few months off is our new book, Under a Spitfire Sky. Exactly. And it's written under our new combined pen name, Ellie Curzon. Can you see how we came up with that? <laughs> yeah. She's like the pantomime horse of World War II fiction. Exactly. <laughs> but not, not two make-do and men patched together. But shiny no, no, and new no. and lovely. She's like Dobbin from Rent-A-Ghost. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we thought we'd talk today in our new release a little bit about our new book, um, how it came to be, how Ellie Curzon came to be and what the future holds for her and therefore us. Yeah, so I suppose where should, where should we start? Well, as you may have noticed, Catherine and I are quite prolific and that we write quite a lot <laughs> and we write across lots of genres as well. So mm. we had a rather bulging bottom drawer, so to speak. I think we had talked about writing an RAF story for a while, I think, hadn't mm -hmm. we? Mm. I went to Cambridge for a week on holiday. Um, if, I, if I'd known what would have happened, I would have gone somewhere a bit more bit more far-flung than Cambridge but anyway so I went to Cambridge it's right under the flight path for Doxford so I was walking around very sunny lovely summery Cambridge with World War II planes zooming overhead um, and I was staying in it was I was staying in the middle of Cambridge but it's in this very nice little lane essentially and it looks like the countryside with like a row of cottages with hollyhocks and roses in the front gardens and it looked lovely and I sent Catherine a photo um, do you remember what you said when you saw the picture of the street? No, was it obscene? No, it was clean. <laughs> you said, you said, I can imagine an RAF officer remember. going to meet his girlfriend in yes. one of the cottages. Yes. And, that and was, that's where it started. Yeah, that's where Under a Spitfire Sky came from. Mm. Um, and I, as anyone that listens to this podcast or knows me knows, I'm a bit of a plane spotter. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I have a particular love of, uh, well, World War II planes, but what we would associate with Battle of Britain planes. And I think after Eleanor sent that picture, do you remember I, I made, was it a cartoon from the time or was it just something that I came up with, which was, you know, the, the pair of feet sticking out from under the Spitfire and the, the, um, the chappish officer chatting away to what he thinks is a man. And it's actually a woman. I think, I think, I, yes, I think. I think that might have been a cartoon from mm. the period, yeah. Mm. yeah. And essentially that was the, the kernel for what became under a Spitfire Sky. Mm. Indeed. With Florence, who yep. is um, a Spitfire mechanic. The... She's a member of the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. Indeed. And she's uh, aircraft woman Florence, working on, working on the old Spitfires in her aunt's village she's left London um, to go into the countryside and works on the Spitfires and that's how she meets the chap who is squadron leader Siegfried Lane Bannister who is 
a slightly unworldly chap from Cornwall who has left a scholarly life behind um, to fly Spitfires. Indeed. Indeed. It was an interesting thing to write. I mean, obviously, some of you will remember that we wrote um, The Captain and the Cavalry Trooper. So writing sort of 20th century war set novels is something we have done before. But obviously, we hadn't done one involving um, pilots before. So that was that was um, an interesting angle to take. Um, and it's interesting as well, because to be honest, even today, if you're a woman and you're a mechanic, people still think it's slightly odd. And you think at the time um, what Florence would have had to have faced. So we do we do cover that a bit, don't we, with like the, hmm. the trouble she has. But that generally people are just saying, well, we've all got to pitch in um, and get the job done. And if that means it's a woman doing the job, because there's not hmm. many chaps about, then that's... that's exactly. you know, if, you, if the best man for the job is a woman, then that's the person who does it. So Exactly. And part of the story, and obviously we won't be giving any spoilers tonight, um, but part of the story is that Florence is um, asked to join a, a, a squad that are working on an experimental new version of the Spitfire um, that will fly on D-Day. Um, and she is the only woman on that particular squad. squad. Um, and we do deal with there the problems that she faces, um, which, you know, she would because good though she is, to some people in the book, and I don't want to give any spoilers, <laughs> she's still one of the little women. Yes, she's a nice little girly. <laughs> she is. And further complicating matters is the... Um, arrest of a Lord Hawhorish character who is throwing spanners in all sorts of works. Indeed. So there's there's a big conspiracy afoot oh. as well. So not only is there the fact that uh, D well there's a war and that D Day is approaching, but mm-hmm. there's also uh, a traitor somewhere in the mix. Yeah. So there's a lot at stake for for our characters. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the biggest difference, although we have written um, male-female romance before, this is a Mm. historical book and it does have romance in it. Mm. But it's it's got things in common with our male romance stories, I think. Um, It's very British. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still got that very sort of Curzon-Harkstead vibe. It's set in our kind of like Curzon-Harkstead land, so, you know, a little corner of England with roses round the door. Um, and there's a lovely dog, but there's also sort of sinister things afoot. Yes, and there's secrets that people mm. want to keep and are frightened mm. of having revealed. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. But it's got a you know a great mix of adventure and bravery and romance, and I think it's something that everybody can relate to. You know, because everybody's everybody can relate to that feeling of worrying about people that you care about for one reason or another Mm. and sometimes maybe feeling particularly now i think feeling at the mercy of greater forces than we can necessarily control so you know we have control over certain aspects of our lives but others they're kind of blowing in the wind you know we don't know we all know in the world for the last 12 months we don't know what the news headlines are going to be tomorrow no you know like we don't know where we'll be, um, where whether we'll be allowed to be, well, we'll be in work, whether we'll be at home, just things like that. But you know, obviously, in wartime, that sense of being at the mercy of 
greater forces than you, particularly when you're actually in the forces and obviously D-Day is approaching. Mm. There's a real sense of this something hanging over this mm. idyllic little village, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, so if you think of the village in um, The Captain and the Cricketer, but oh. it, I should imagine, imagine what it would have been like in that village in the war if there'd mm. also been like a, 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 an air force base there as well. Mm. So it's interesting. Um, I found writing it because my granddad was, uh, he landed on Juno Beach on D-Day. So, so when we were, we were writing the bits in the build up to D-Day, I actually felt myself getting quite anxious about it and like, oh no, the, the traitor risks D-Day. Is my granddad going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yes, it's, it's easy to get um, emotionally involved in the stories when you're writing them. And hopefully, hopefully when you read it as well. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, and it's our first release with Orion Dash, um, which is a brand new arm of Orion, mm-hmm. um, which is you know very exciting for us. And what was particularly exciting is uh, Olivia, who we work with at Orion, within a couple of days of receiving the manuscript, she got in touch and she loved it. She loved the mix of romance and adventure and courage. And it was just one of those, you know, magical moments that every writer wishes for, really, wasn't it? Exactly, because um, we had we had been sending off stuff, and and you kind of get used to getting an email saying, "I really like this, but," mm. and we got this email, we got the email back from Olivia, and um, we had to we had to like convince each other, we had to we had to Skype each other to go, and it says she wants it, doesn't it? We're not imagining it. It does say that. It does. Well, I, yeah, because I remember I was working and I got the email come in. Um, and we have had, you know, like, we've had rejections. And they've been lovely rejections, but they're mm. still rejections, you know. Yeah. Um, and I saw the first line that said, kind of, you know, thank you very much for sending. You thought, oh. And then I opened it and and I think I messaged you and I was like, check your email, but don't worry, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I opened it and I was like, oh. What? Am I? Yeah. I'm, what? <laughs> and it was fantastic. And actually, um, that night, it was this was when you were allowed to go to a friend's house and sit in the garden. Yeah. Um, like rule of six, I think it was. And we were going um, to a friend's barbecue, just the two of us and the two of them and their little kids. And the whole time I was sitting in the garden, I think it was like the hottest day of the year. Do you remember I got burned like a lobster? Oh, no. The whole day. The whole afternoon, the evening, sorry. I was just kind of dazed. <laughs> and they were like, do you want another burger, Catherine? I was like, yeah. Would you like a drink? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was just like absolutely dazed. And it was just lovely and wonderful, you know, and and it's been a pleasure to work with Orion um, on bringing Spitfire to be everything it could be. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 really nice, actually. Mm, yeah. It is. Yes. Yes. I I should mention that my I found out a few years ago that my grandma's cousin was a Spitfire pilot, uh, which I didn't. She's never mentioned it. Um, but he he sadly didn't make it to the end of the war, mm. um, and he's buried in the cemetery in the village where I grew up, and they actually have got a Spitfire muster bell that they keep in mm. the chapel at the cemetery. Um, to remember him um so if you if you look at the book it's dedicated to two men one of them jack is the spitfire pilot 
Um, and the other chap, Stanley, was my granddad's cousin, and he was in the RAF, and he didn't make it either. So in a way, it's mm. it's one of those things where you there was obviously it was quite dangerous being in the RAF in the war. So it's nice to write, write a story that you know that has a happy ending for some of the characters, um, and as a sort of little tribute to them for for what they did um, and what they gave up in some cases as well. Um, but it is I well, hope it's a lovely story. Well, my granddad was in a reserve occupation, so <laughs> I can't share anything. Well, no, you know, valuable in itself is a coal miner. Indeed. Yes, yeah, so my, my granddad did want to be in the RAF and he, 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 he came very close to signing up to it and then he changed his mind at the last minute and he always said afterwards, he said, it's probably just as well I did. <laughs> mm. But yeah, so there we go. So it's 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 our first ever um, story about. Well, we did write a story about a pilot before, didn't we? When we had the captain and the um, oh, the captain and the best man. Um, so, but this yeah, is not it was quite pilot. different. He was oh. an airline pilot, and he wasn't flying in a war, so it's, it's a little bit different. But yeah, pilot's yeah. a pilot. Yes. So, um, and what what comes next for? Ellie Curzon. Well, um, more stories in a similar vein, apparently. Yeah. So. Um, we we do have, you know, there will be other books from Ellie Curzon, um, but we can't quite make an announcement yet about that, but hopefully very soon. Indeed, indeed. And it's, it is good. I mean, obviously, as you probably know, we, we both came to know each other because we were writing um, historical non-fiction. So... Um, so finding a home at Orion writing historical fiction actually seems to work quite well for us, doesn't it? I think we both uh. we both enjoy um, the research side of it, which of course, because it's a novel, you don't have to. It, it's not quite as heavy as it can be if you're writing non-fiction. But obviously, you still want to make sure that it's you get it right and that it's it's as believable as it can be. Bearing in mind, it's also a story that's has elements that aren't quite real but is based in a very believable um setting of the past yeah um, i think though from me you know coming from the position of being a, a plane spotter this you know without again spoiling anything the spitfire stuff has to be right mm, mm. you know because you somebody like me would spot it straight away yeah and you so yeah so there is still, for this one in particular, there was quite a technical element of... It's not necessarily there on the page in technical detail, but I think, like anything, you have to be confident that it's right so you can... So your character knows it's right, if you like. So it might not even make it into the finished book, but you have to have an idea of how is this experimental technology actually going to work. Yeah. You know, because it has to be believable within the story. So we're not talking about, you know, teleportation. Um, just, you know, but about instead... A slightly more souped-up spit, I guess, is the way of putting it. Yeah, but it has to one. be right. It has to be possible. Well, I think if there was one, we would have seen it by now. But <laughs> yes, no, because it's that secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Ministry of Defence haven't been after us since the release of this book, so no. maybe, maybe we made it up. <laughs> I, you know, I'm known. I'm known for my love of conspiracy theory. <laughs> known for it. You see, and while Catherine was covering the sort of, you know, the technical and historical aspects of the Spitfires, um, I, I used to go around dressed 1940s. So I was like trying to hold myself back on the 
I'll put in a huge detailed section about how Florence does her hair. No. <laughs> no. No, Eleanor, no. It's it was yeah, no, it was really interesting to write and nice to write. And it was a nice even with the threat that, that obviously um hangs over the story with the setting being in the war and the traitors afoot. It was still a nice environment to be in, I felt, to the, the village and the people. It, it felt mm. quite warm. Mm. Um, quite nice to write. Yeah, um, and I think as well, from the perspective of the publication, the book's been out as we record this um, a week and a bit, Yeah, I think. Ooh, two um, weeks, I think, yeah. To each year. Yeah. Um, and the feedback and the reception has been absolutely wonderful. It's been lovely to see. Mm. You know, people have just really responded to the story and the characters in exactly the way that we hoped they would and exactly the way that we responded to them when we wrote them. Mm. And it's an absolute joy to write something that in, when you're, you know, like all of our books, when you're writing them, they're very believable and you really engage a lot with them and you put a lot of passion and soul into it. Mm. And it's always a joy to see it come out and readers just totally get on that same, get on board with it. You know, that's exactly what you want as an author. So it's been absolutely lovely and heartening to see that people have really embraced what Ellie Curzon has popped out there, if you like. Yeah, and it's nice as well because, I mean, the, you know, I'm sure there's overlap between the people who've read the Curzon Harksted books we've had out before, but also, you know, the, the a whole new set mm. of readers as well who were discovering the land of Curzon Harksted so mm. forth. Ellie Curzon Land, as it's also known. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, that's part of the reason that we've gone with this new pen name is just to sort of, if you like, delineate between the two. Um, exactly. Because I will say as well that um, it's considerably lighter on raunch than the Curzon Harkstead releases, yeah. I think. Um, it's still got a huge dose of really heartfelt romance and passion. Um, but I think without again spoiling it, if you filmed this, it wouldn't be an 18. <laughs> but I think that's in keeping, when people read it, that's completely in keeping with the story and the characters as well. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, very, it's, it's passionate but sweet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, uh, which is always a good thing. Mm. Right. So... I think, I think that's. I think that rounds it up for um, yep. Ellie Curzon for now. So if you haven't read the book yet, it's available as an ebook at the moment. It might go into other formats as well. It's time to find out what's coming out of the inkwell. What is coming out of the inkwell, Eleanor? Well, well, we we I don't know if you remember us mentioning a while ago we did a sandbox in New York, so we've gone back to New York for wow. a sandbox, but with with a whole new set of characters mm. that we're just writing for fun, um, which is quite um, fun. Yeah, we've also got coming out of our inkwell um, some short stories. We means weekly, and we're going to talk a bit more about them in our next podcast. That's Terribly exciting, obviously. And that's another venture for Ellie Curzon. Indeed. Um, for those of you who like the Captivating Captains, and why not, 
Um, there is another captivating captain coming your way. Oh, sorry, he's he'll be arriving um, in in April. He is coming your way. Yes. Um, so, but I, yes. So that's there we have captain captivating captain number eight, no less. So there we are. Who's putting the fizz in your gin this week, Catherine? Putting the fit, putting the fizz in my gin this week. Well, it's already predicted by my good friend Rob. <laughs> but putting the fizz in my gin this week is Mr. Robert Stack, Elliot Ness himself, Rex Kramer from Airplane. And why is he putting the fizz in your gin, Catherine? <laughs> he's putting the fizz in our gin, my gin because he's pretty much moved into our house over lockdown, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we started watching um, Unsolved Mysteries oh, last year, which is amazing. And <laughs> it's that rare thing that me and Mr. C both enjoy. Um, but there's tons of it. Yeah. Like there's must be 6,000 episodes. So we're working our way through. Um, and Bob, as he's come to be known in our house... <laughs> Um, Bob is an ever constant companion now. He's he's like every night. Bob's Bob's there. Do you want some Bob? Yeah, let's have some Bob. I've I've started and, watching it as well on Catherine's recommendation. Well, you know as well because oh. I watch a lot of Golden Age cinema, so it's I amazing. see a lot of Bob anyway. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm I'm already very. Fa- let's put it this way: people that know me and know my very first crushes <laughs> know that I've been familiar with Bob for thirty five years. <laughs> so let's just say that and what was it that you saw him in Catherine that made you think oh he's the guy for me it was airplane <laughs> it was airplane my my mum absolutely loved airplane so when I was like little before I understood those feelings you know she'd always be like let's put airplane on the Betamax and I'd be like, yeah, let's put airplane on the beta back, but let's pay no attention to it apart from specific moments. Now, the funny thing is that one of those specific moments is now my messenger tone on my phone. <laughs> and also, when I um, used to spend a lot of time with my granddad when I was growing up, at the weekends, we used to watch the Untouchables. Uh-huh. Um, so Bob's actually been quite a constant <laughs> throughout the years. Um, but he's he's only just recently moved in with Unsolved Mysteries. But Yes, you're watching it too, and I believe enjoying it. We are watching it, yes. We are now on, we just finished watching episode 22 of season mm. one. <laughs> oh, God, we're on season eight. Oh, it was epic. And I and like every episode, you're just watching it going, I can't believe they've actually managed to find this much content for this many episodes. And this is just the first series. It's like, there's some, and it's all America. There's some seriously bizarre things that happened yeah. in America. <laughs> What's yeah. going on there? There are. It's it's just every time I mention to anyone that I'm watching it, it's see, it turns out everyone secretly watches and solve mysteries basically. And I have um a friend who I chat to every week on Skype and she hasn't got Amazon Prime so she doesn't watch it. But every week she's like, What mysteries have there been? Have <laughs> you any good mysteries this week? And also, as um you certainly know, and Rob knows, and Rick knows, and I think that's a bit tired of I do like to keep up a running commentary on Bob's coats. He has an he has amazing outfits because he in the, in the one of the the first episode 
He wears this amazing corduroy. brown velvet jacket. He's like, there's like a sort of horse theme to the mystery. It's corduroy, it's not velvet. Yeah, so he's down at a stable and he, and he leans against a pole <laughs> in a very smooth manner in his in his brown corduroy jacket. Um, Look at Catherine with amazing. the knowledge, it's corduroy. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, who's putting the fizz in your gin? Oh, well, well, aside from joining you in the... Um, the well, we call it... In my house, we call it the stackathon. Um, Do you? Well... As you know, in my, it's uh, it's it's a bit of Bob, a bit huh. of Bob. Wait, because my partner he watches Jason Statham films. That's his guilty oh, secret cool. that now everybody knows, and he always calls it a Stathathon. So if I go away for the weekend, he watches the, he watches back to back Statham films. So now we, but now he's he's converted. He's, he Excellent. now likes to have a stackathon instead. Actually, you know the other thing that Mister Curzon calls ahead oh. when he he tries to embarrass me by saying, "Let's have a, a slice of stack." <laughs> but I'm unembarrassable. Anyone that knows me knows I'm completely unembarrassable. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, who's who's on your Well Not um, Jason Statham. Okay, who's on the Fizz of My Gin? Um he's a writer called Vasim Khan. Ooh. Who you might have heard of. He writes the Baby Ganesh Agency novels, which I started to read quite by accident last year i know i I sort of i have mutual friends with him because of people i know from the crime writers association um and he writes um stories set in mumbai and they're about the retired um policeman who sets up the baby ganesh agency uh, Mm. detective agency and he basically solves crimes with his baby elephant and they're just they're wonderful books I like them in a way, in a really weird way. They're a bit like our books in that you've got a very strong character who's an animal who doesn't have lines because he's an animal, but you still get a feel feel for this character as a character. And he really brings to life like all the different kinds of people that you would meet in Mumbai. And obviously like last year didn't really go anywhere very interesting mm. I, went, I went to Walsall to the hospital one day that was exciting um so actually sitting in my garden in the sun reading these books set in Mumbai I kind of was like traveling to India and and helping helping Inspector Chopra with all these mysteries so they were really good so yes so Vaseem Khan putting the fizz in my gin absolutely lovely that brings us to the close of episode one of season two, you see, we shouldn't make this kind of official of Gin and Gentlemen. Although you can't see me, I am wearing corduroy and leaning in a stable. <laughs> I would just like to say that at this point. So, you know, I'm petting my baby elephant. Never heard it called that before. <laughs> but for now, we bid you adieu because I've got mysteries to solve. Indeed. Unsolved mysteries ahoy. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Find out more at our website, curzonharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music.